what the word of God is saying today. We'll do a lot of scripture reading. Make sure you have your pad, uh, your pencil and paper out, whatever you can write on, whatever you can take notes with, because this uh, message this morning is very vital and very important that we understand it and execute it in our life. Amen. I heard a powerful testimony from Sister Fox. If we had time, I would have let her told it to you like she told it to me. But she told she she took a half hour to tell it to me. So <laughs> she took a half hour to tell it to me. But I was I was excited. And while she when she called me yesterday, I was in the Word. I'm reading. I'm studying. I'm going at it. And she called and um, just gave me some good news and just encouraged me from what I was reading and studying. I said, Man, God, you're just always on time. And so all that she said was just a wonderful thing. And before I go any further, I just want you to know that God loves you. Tell your neighbor God loves you. You know, we want to think that because people not living right that God don't love them. We want to think because people not doing what they supposed to do, God don't love them. Mm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, we do it all the time. We think because we can judge that I'm doing better than you, that God loves me more than you. Yeah, that's what we do. And God don't love you no more than he loved me. And I don't care if you're the wretched one of the worst. He don't love you no more than he loved me. Don't you think that? Because um, somebody not measuring up to what you think they should measure up to, that God loved you better than them. Don't work that way. God loves every one of us. And in our struggles and in our challenges and our trials and our temptation, God is still loving us. He's reaching for us and trying to help us, but, it, but, it, but he's loving us. He's never abandoned us. He's never made us, uh, we might think it, but he's, he's not saying, I don't love you. When you're going through and things are not working, don't mean God don't love you. And we're going to get into the word of the Lord today. Exodus chapter 6. Verse number two, I feel the Holy Ghost. I don't know if you feel the Holy Ghost, but hopefully if you don't feel him by the time I get going, you'll feel him because I felt him since yesterday. Since yesterday, I'm feeling him. So, you know, it doesn't matter what you feel like right now. Hopefully the Holy Ghost can flow from this pulpit upon every person in this place today. The Holy Ghost is good. Somebody said the Holy Ghost is good. I don't want to frighten Cherie and all the other folks that might not be ones that's familiar with the Holy Ghost all the time. When we say Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, same thing. I'm not trying to frighten you. He is good. It's just God in a different form. All right. Exodus chapter 6, verse number 2 says, And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty. That's important. We're going to make, make clarity in that, that God said he appeared unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by the name Jehovah was, not, was I not known to them. So he said they knew me as the Almighty God, but they don't know me as Jehovah God. Verse 4, and I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. Say the land of Canaan. Say the promised land. The land of their pilgrimage 
wherein they were strangers. Verse 5, and I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptian keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. I know I feel the Holy Ghost. Here, here is what the Holy Ghost is telling me. God said, I gave them the land of Canaan, but they was in bondage. He said, I gave them the land of Canaan. He said it in verse 4 or up further. He said, I gave them the land while they were in bondage. So you want to tell me God don't love you while your life is a mess? <laughs> yes, help us today, Holy Ghost. God has already given you some things, uh, even though you have not yet possessed it, even though you have not yet walked into it, even though you have not yet lived in it, God says, I've already given it to you. Oh, my God, we don't realize who God is. And so God says, yeah, I know you're moaning and groaning because you are in captivity, but I already promised you, Canaan. That's your land. I promised you that. And verse Verse 5, and I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptian keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with as a stretched out arm and with a great judgment. Chanel, God told them, you're living in sin. You're living in a messed up world. You're living in bondage and burdens and pressures of the world. But I have already promised you a land uh, that will bless you, a land that is yours. Uh, even though you're in bondage, even though you're in a bad situation, even though things are not working out, even though you have not come to the place of possessing your blessing, he says, I've already given it to you. Already given it to us. And so God is trying to do something here to tell us. Let me tell you what the, God says. I am God and I change not. You know what it means? He means I'm, I'm the same today, yesterday, and forever. I don't change. I stay the same. So when we read scripture, we'll realize God shows us I never change. And so what is, is vital important for us to understand that he's God and he never changed is this. He is always showing us typology. The Old Testament is a typology of things that will come in the New Testament. It's the same kind of deal because he never changes, but he has to bring us from the physical to get us to understand the spiritual. And so when he talked about the land of Canaan, he is talking about a place called heaven. He's talking about a place where we will experience the blessings of God and experience where everything is just wonderful. That's what he's talking about. But for them, it was Canaan. For us today, it's heaven. He's already promised you heaven and you are in a bad spot. You haven't done what you need to do, but he already promised you heaven. But you got to live in that world. Egypt was the type of an ungodly world. So he says, even though I've already promised you heaven, you live in a world that is full of sin. And you live in a world where there's, there's demonic forces and Satan is trying to always burden you down. There, demons are trying to attack you. They're always coming against you. You live in that kind of world, but I've given you heaven. You will possess it. 
Help us, Jesus. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Verse 34 says, After the number of the days in which ye searched the land, even 40 days, each day for a year, shall you bear your iniquities even 40 years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. Today I want to entitle this message that I'm not probably going to preach, but hopefully teach it to you as best as I can so it makes a difference. I want to entitle this message today, Repairing the Breaches of the Covenant. Repairing the Breaches of the Covenant. Great God Almighty, whose name is Jesus, the Holy One of Israel, the all-powerful, sovereign God, we salute you today. Oh, Oh God, we give you praise and honor. You're the great God, the sovereign one, King of kings and Lord of lords, the almighty God, the lifter up of our head, our kingsman redeemer, the Lord, oh God, that establishes covenant with his people, the Lord that will destroy the yoke of bondage, the Lord that will deliver, the Lord that will save, the Lord that will set free. Your name is Jesus. And it's you that we've come to adore and to praise and to magnify and to give glory and honor to. Jesus, we love you and praise your name. We give you honor for there is none like you. Holy God, wonderful God, magnificent God, peaceful God and our Savior. We love you and we thank you. We glorify and we magnify your name. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody give him some praise. Come on, clap your hands and lift your voice for a moment. God is here. Whether you feel him or not, I'm telling you, God is here. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Canaan, as mentioned, is the promised land, was the promised land for God's people. Heaven is the promised land today for God's people. And so Canaan and heaven, is, it, it's similar, just, just different times. They needed a land that God would give them, a land where they will experience blissness and they will experience where, where, where everything works for them. And God says, that's your land. And so today God said, heaven is your home. Heaven will, where you, will be where you spend eternity. And so Canaan and heaven, they relate. But then we can relate Egypt 
to the present world that we're living in today. And so back then in Egypt, they worship idols. They, they worship false gods. They worship man. They worship what they wanted to. They never worship the true and living God. And whoever didn't want to worship the true and living God, whoever didn't worship the true and living God, they made them felt like they were outcasts. As a matter of fact, they try to stop them from worshiping the true and living God. Today, you choose to worship the true and living God and you're going to have some issues. You're going to have some problems. Hey, listen, people will tell you God is good and you can go sit with them and y'all have a good conversation about God is good. But when you stop and say, which God are you talking about? Then there becomes a problem. This world don't want you to know and they don't want you to say, Jesus is God. They don't want you to say that. As long as you say God, they said, okay, everybody is peaceful. Everybody get along when we say God. But from the moment I says Jesus Christ, who is the almighty God, now all of a sudden there's a problem. It's okay because this world is not looking to worship the true and living God. They want to worship what they want to worship. They want to worship their idols. They want to worship whatever they have, their possessions. They worship whatever they want, but they don't want to worship the true and living God. They don't want to worship the true and living God. So back then, they had their thing going. They was living how they want to live. But God's people was in their land. And God's people was entangled with their sin and with their wrong, just as it is now. There's some people of God sitting here today that this world and everything that's going on is tangling us. This world is, 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 is getting its way. But it don't mean you're not God's people. You're still God's people. Just like they were entangled back then with the things of that evil world. We are God's people and we're entangled with the things of this evil world. But God says he will deliver us. God said he will save us. God said he will lift the burdens. God said he will hear us and he will bring us out with a strong hand. It's already said it. So while I'm going through, I know God's got my back. While things aren't working right, I know God's got my back. When he said, they knew me by the name God Almighty, what he's saying is, they knew me as El Shaddai, God Almighty, the all-sufficient God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew him, God that provides, the all-sufficient one, the one that pours out gifts. They, they knew God as that. But Moses knew him as Jehovah or Yahweh. That's how Moses knew him. Well, what does that mean since Moses knew him like that and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob kind of didn't know him with that name? Well, when he says, I am Jehovah, who is Yahweh as well, meaning simply and profoundly, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And people trying to figure out, trying to know God, talking about, well, how can and I just walk away when people start saying, how can? He said, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. What are you going to try to figure out about that? What knowledge you have to comprehend? God says, I am who I am. I will be what I will be and who I will be. Who's going to figure all of that out? We can't figure that out. So the bottom line is, either you're going to trust the Almighty or you don't trust Him. There are three reasons why people don't live for God. Many more, but these are three main reasons. One of the reasons is 
they don't want to change their comfortable way of living to go try something that's going to make them a little uncomfortable. The first thing is they feel comfortable in where they are. They know their situation. They know how everything is. And it doesn't even matter if they're bound by addiction or whatever. In their mind, I'm comfortable with this way of living right now. So don't come telling me about Jesus because now you're going to tell me about something that's going to make me have to think and try to decide that I got to come out of this lifestyle. And then they fool themselves and say, this lifestyle I'm living, I'm having a good time doing it. And you want me to go live for God and be bored and not have a good time anymore and can't do nothing? That's the first reason why we don't live for God. We fall for the same trick that the devil introduced to Adam and Eve a long time ago. What's that trick? God told them they could eat from every tree in the garden. Every single tree, Tony. I like to say, what if there was a million tree? God said, eat from every one of them except for one. He said, just don't mess with one. And the devil came and spun it around on them and says, man, God said you can't eat from all the tree. Is that true? It is true. Listen to what, listen to what God said to Adam. You can eat from every tree of the garden. Just don't eat from one. That's how God said it. The devil came and says, God said you can't eat from every tree in the garden. And the devil was right. Oh, y'all got quiet. He was right. He just flipped it around, though, to put the hardest thing first. He says, you can't eat from every tree. And so now, all of a sudden, they got to start thinking. Oh, you know what? And that's what the devil is doing to so many people that decide they want to live for God, that know they should live for God but won't live for God. Man, I can't do everything. Stop letting the devil fool you. You can do more with God than you can do without God. Amen. It might be one or two things that, 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 that the devil is throwing up in your face that you can't do, and you're not thinking about the hundreds of things that God says, but you can do all of those things. I'm not telling you God didn't say some things you can't do. But there's a whole lot of things God says you can do, but the devil wants you to focus on the few things you can't do if you start, if you start living for God. Never want you to focus on you can't drink no more. Never want you to focus on you can't smoke and drink no more. He wants you to focus on you can't lie. Man, what's that? Instead of thinking about all the good things you can do. Yeah. So, so the devil, the, the, the things that stop us from wanting to live for God, we don't want to uh, change our life. We're afraid that the life that we will change over to living for God won't be as good to us won't be as enjoyable. We're just going to be bored. We're just going to just, just go to church and we're not going to keep ourselves looking good no more. You know, all that kind of foolishness. Then, then, then also, too, what, what, the, uh, what we think about why we don't want to live for God, we, start think, we think that, but also we start thinking, you know, I think I might have just done too much wrong. I, I just, man, the stuff that I've done, God ain't never going to make me be forgiven of that. I ain't never going to live that down because I've done some cruel stuff. That's the devil. I'm still waiting to find out. This don't happen in America. Maybe if I said this in, in, in Africa, maybe I'll get some hands. But in America, I say this all the time. I said, show me by showing up hands. Let me know which one of you was going to find Christian people to say, you following Jesus? And when they say, yeah, you was going to go kill them. Who was doing that in here? Well, that's what the greatest apostle was doing. 
So if God forgave him and he became a real man of God and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, then God can forgive you of anything. You don't have to feel bad talking about, I can't serve God because I done did too much. No, no, foolishness. God can deliver you and will forgive you for everything that you've done. Yes, yes. Some people, the third thing is, they're concerned about what others are going to think about them. Yeah, I want to live for God, but, you know, people are going to talk about me. People are going to say this and say that. You know, I don't like, you know, I don't want them thinking about this, and they're going to say this. They're going to say that. You know, you, you know what's up with you now? <laughs> we don't even, the devil got our minds so messed up that we don't even realize it. Tony, if I'm living for God, which means I've got a pathway that's going to take me to heaven and spend eternity with Jesus Christ. When I die, I'm not going to hell. Why would I let somebody that's not going to heaven get me all riled up? Tell me how that works. Why would I worry about somebody saying to me, man, you living for God? Yeah, I'm living for God. Trying to go to heaven. What you doing? I'm not worried about what people think about what I'm doing. What people say about what I'm doing. They need to get to heaven. They worried about me. So we don't live for God because we worried about what people think about us. We don't live for God because we think our lifestyle is going to change so drastically that we're not going to have fun anymore. We don't live for God because we think we've done so bad that God will never forgive us. But all of those are not good reasons to not live for God. There's no good reason not to live for God. What I say all the time, living for God, you have everything to gain nothing to lose not living for God you're playing Russian roulette and you won't make it in the end and spend eternity in heaven if you don't live for God and then I take it far as saying listen can you imagine if there is no God listen to me I know God is leading me to say these things so if you heard it before hear it again if there is no God and you live for God, Eric, at the end of your life, what are they going to say? Man, he was so respectful. He treated people right. He, he, he did well, you know, to others. He was never selfish. He, he, you know, he did what he could to help others. You know, he loved his family. He loved people. That's how you're going to die with that kind of reputation. Who, who, who wouldn't sign up for that? Who don't want to die and people saying, man, that was a good dude right there. Because, you know, we lie at funerals all the time, thinking that people are trying to make people go to heaven. They ain't going to heaven. They, only, they, they probably was only good from one to seven years old, and that's all we can think back about. So we talk about the one to seven years old, because after seven, they was a menace to society. They was crazy, and we try to act like they was all good when we get to church at the funeral. They ain't no good. Tell the truth. Preacher trying to dance around it. When I go preach a funeral and somebody wasn't living for God, I preach to the people that's living. I don't say nothing about the person in the casket. What's the deal? What's there to say? They live their life and they'll get their reward, whether heaven or hell. I don't have nothing to say about that. But if they, that's in the casket, casket was just good, treated people good, honest, do things right, then I'm going to say something about them. Oh, they were just so wonderful how they treated people. So if there's no God, you get good respect when you die. If you lived your life for God and there was no God. If you live your life for God, and there was no God, but you was just out there. 
a drunk, addict, treat people wrong, do whatever you want. Then when you get to the funeral, somebody either going to lie and somebody going to elbow somebody. That preacher lying because he you know he ain't did that. Oh, that happened in funerals all the time. Why are they saying that? He was always came up with a nasty attitude. What are they talking about? And so you die and you die with a bad name if there's no God. So if there's no God and if one, and you live like God, you die with a good name. And if there's no God and you live for and, and you don't live for God, you die with a bad name. Is that understood? No God, you you don't live for God, you die with a bad reputation. No God, but you live for God, you die with a good reputation. Now flip that thing. There is a God, and you live for God, you get eternal life. There is a God. And you live the way you want to live, you go to hell. You follow what I'm saying now? When I say, when you live for God, you got everything to gain and nothing to lose. Now you understand the phrase. Everything to gain, nothing to lose when you live for God. Because living for God is, every, our society, understand this, that our morals come from the Bible. Uh, Our morals come from the Bible. So, so what we were taught as children, if we were raised by decent uh, parents, is good morals that came from the Bible. So everybody was born to live up to those standards of the Bible. Now, we don't always do it, but the point is, that's how we were supposed to live. So the Bible is the standard for how we were supposed to live. So if I live according to the Bible and there's no God, I'm good. I measured up to the standard for what we need to live by. But boy, oh boy, if there's a God, man, I'm all right. No God, I'm not going to heaven. Repairing the breaches of the covenant. I know you're saying, what that got to do with repairing the breaches of the covenant? We'll get there. Listen to this when we talk about Jehovah, Yahweh. God is the author of life and salvation. His I am expression It expresses the fact that he is the infinite and original personal God who is behind everything to whom everything must finally be traced. The name I am who I am signals the truth that nothing else defines who God is but God himself. (laughs) What he says and does is who he is. The inspired scriptures are the infallible guide to understanding who God is by what he says about himself and what he does. Now, you always hear me tell you about we need to know God. And that's true, we need to know God. But knowing God, whatever knowledge we're going to get of God to know him is still not the fullness of who God is. We can never fully deep, 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 deep know God. He is too deep. He is too vast to know everything about him, but he has given us enough to know enough about him. But you always hear me teach this, Chanel. We need to learn the ways of God. Right, Suzy Q? We need to learn the ways of God. Because there are times when you might not know something, but according to how it's unfolding, you're going to know this is God. I can't tell because I don't know him fully in every way. But the way this thing is moving, I understand that this is God because I know his ways. 
We need to know his ways. Yahweh is the all-powerful and sovereign God who alone defines himself and establishes truth for his creatures or creation and works for their salvation. God is working for your salvation. Touch your neighbor and tell him God is working for your salvation. Touch your other neighbor and tell him God is working for your salvation. As hard as you're working to duck God, as hard as you're working to run away from God, as hard as you're working to ignore God, as hard as you're working to deny God, God is still working for your salvation. What kind of God is this? We ducking him. We treating him terribly. We don't give him the praise. We don't lift up his name. We don't want to do the things he said to do. And he's still working to save us. Every one of us in here, God is working to save you. Doesn't matter where you are today. Doesn't matter how much wrong you've done. It doesn't matter what you think. God is still working to save you. Yes, he is. Let's talk about this word covenant. Because we said the topic title of our message today is repairing the breaches or the breach of the covenant. So let's talk about this word covenant today and see what covenant says to us. What is a covenant? A covenant is a mutual agreement between God and man. You're not forced into it. It's a mutual agreement. This is why he's still working to save us. Because you have to come into agreement with him. It must be mutual. You must say, God, I agree. And God says, I agree. So a covenant is a mutual agreement between us and God. You say, God, what's the terms? And he tell you the terms. And you say, you know what? I agree with those terms. I'm in agreement with you, Lord. Whatever you say, I got you. I'm in agreement with that. I'll, I'll, I'll operate in those terms. I agree with those terms. So it's a mutual agreement between God and man. God, with his commands, makes certain promises, and men agree to keep the commandments of the promises. Hmm. Or at any rate, the promises are conditioned on human obedience. So whatever the promises, the condition of, of the, the mutual agreement, whatever it is, then you decide if you agree or you don't agree. And you do that through your obedience. Listen, covenant is different than a contract, but it kind of is kind of put together kind of the same way. When you go to your employer, when you go to your employer, can you go on that job and do whatever you want? There's a mutual agreement. And if you do what you want, you'll get fired eventually. All right, so let me let me let me let me tighten that up, and we can keep moving. So if you if you do whatever you want with your employer, eventually you get fired. Okay, but 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 we know we don't do what we want with our employer. They say here is the terms. One of the first things they show you when you get hired is your HR manual. Here are the terms. Here is our handbook. Here is our policy. Learn them. Then when you get on the job, your supervisor tell you here's what you do. Here's what you can't do. So you learn. What you're doing. And guess what? 
You say, I agree, because I like that 1950 that you pay me an hour. That's what you said. You said, you said my, 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 you're telling me the terms of what I need to do when I'm here, and I'm telling you the terms of that 1950 is what I want. Right? You both just mutually agreed to a contract. And so you work your 40 hours a week, your 35 hours, your 37.50, your overtime, whatever, and you make your money and they agree to pay you as long as you do what they tell you to do. God want me to ask you this question. So what's wrong with his covenant with you? You went on your employer job and you agreed to money. And I, can I tell you this? What's worth more? Your 19.50? Or eternal life. We act like the 1950 worth more. We act like the 2550 is the most. We act like that that ten dollars is the most is, is is worth the most. We act like that. And you know how I can tell we act like that because if we're not embracing with mutual agreement to engage in a covenant with God, then that $15 an hour, that $20 an hour is more important because we went into contract with our jobs, but we won't go into contract. We won't go into a covenant with God. Oh, Lord, I told you I'm not preaching there. I'm just teaching the word of God. Yes, whatever you're being paid on the job, you agreed to that. That's your contract, and you didn't have a problem with it. And here is God that's working, working, and moving, and doing things to give you eternal life. And you keep telling him, hold on now, let me go make this money over here. Oh, help us, Jesus. Covenant. Let's go back to the covenant. In general, the covenant of God with man is a divine ordinance. Somebody say a divine ordinance with signs and pledges on God's part and with promises for humans obedience. But listen to this and penalties for disobedience. If you call out sick three times without a doctor's note, you get suspended. I've been doing this thing for a minute, Chanel, so I know. I don't have to do that no more. I let the supervisors be the bad people. Manager don't have to write nobody up no more. I work with my I work with my managers and we can work it out. I don't work, I don't write people up. But I remember the days I had to write people up and fire people. I remember one time I fired a sister that was in the church. Me and her tight today though. <laughs> we tight like that. But the day came where I had to fire her. And she 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 was all teary eyed and I was all feeling bad. But man, we tight like that. I ain't going to tell you who she is, because if I call her name, some of y'all will know. But that's my girl, and we tight, but I had to fire her. <laughs> but my days of writing people up and firing them is gone. But my point is, there are penalties that you will have to pay up in that covenant with God, just like when you're on your job and you go against the rules consistently, there are going to be penalties. And the, the three-day suspension is without pay when you get suspended. They don't pay you when they suspend you. So the, the covenant do have some, some, some penalties in it. Our responsibility for the covenant is to believe and obey God. Our responsibility usually just fall on believing and obeying God. That's where our responsibility falls as humans that enter into the covenant with God. Our responsibility falls on believing God and obeying God. 
We've got a little responsibility compared to what God's responsibility is because God is responsible to keep on trying to help you get to heaven even when you're trying to ignore him. God is trying to do miracles in your life. Not trying because he can. God is doing miracles in your midst and in your life and doing all the stuff that he agreed that he would do. Bless them that bless you and curse them that cursed you and provide for you and give you good health and strength. God is working doing that and all you got to do is just obey and believe. That's the contract that God has drawn up with us. That's, the, that's, that's the, 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 the covenant that God has drawn up with us to give us eternal life. That we believe and obey while he does all the other stuff. He's got a load he got to carry. Not to him, but I'm just telling you compared to what we can see. He's got a load he got to carry. And all we got to do is believe and obey. Mm. Help us, Jesus. Repairing the breach or breaches of the covenant. All right, let's move on here. The breach is to refuse, forbid, dissuade, or neutralize. The breach is to break, fracture, crack, rift, disallow, discourage, make of none effect. So when we say we enter into covenant with God, we sometimes end up breaching that covenant. And the breach that we're talking about, it caused separation. It, 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 it brings us to a point of, of no longer executing the agreement which makes, which makes it of none effect. We, the breach is, is what we would call a crack. It means that it's, it's no longer active because we have breached the covenant that we entered in with God. It's okay to say amen. I've breached the covenant many times. I don't know about you. I've breached the covenant. I, I've caused the crack to enter in, some rift to come into it. But at the end of the day, what did I say? God is still working to save us. <laughs> what a wonderful God we serve. Tony, we serve a good God. He's still working to save us even when we put a breach in the agreement, a breach in the covenant. There are people who used to have vibrant, dynamic communication with God, but today they are no longer uh, sensitive and, and, and to the spirit of God. They, they're no longer in deep, intimate relationship with God. Hmm. They feel far away from God. They feel a sense of distance, alienation, and estrangement. They still have a love for God, but a breach has developed in their relationship with God. A breach is a break, a fracture, a crack, or a rift, like we said earlier. So, hear this. When there's a breach, then God doesn't have to anymore do what he said he would do. When you mess up the agreement, the mutual agreement, why you think you and God entered into an agreement, you decide, I'm not doing that anymore, but you expect God to still do what he said he would do. That's how we live our life. That's how we live our life. That's how we're trying to be as Christians when we enter into this covenant with God. And then we decide we're going to put a breach in it, a riff, a crack. And we say, God, where are you? Why aren't you blessing me? Why well, can't feel you? You want God to pay up on his hand and you haven't paid up. You have reversed. You backed up off of God and you want God to still do his part. Holy Ghost. God will still reach for you, but the blessings of the promises, you won't get them. Oh, help me, Jesus. 
God will not stop reach for you to save you when you have placed a breach in the covenant. But guess what? The promises, the blessings that's supposed to come because you're in covenant with God, you won't get those. This is why we can be in church and be frustrated because we have breached the covenant and we're expecting God to still pour out blessings. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Forget about blessings right now. I'm trying to save you. Oh, God, help me this morning. God wants to save you. And so he says, blessings is secondary. Let me reach for you. Let me bring you into the kingdom. Let me take you from under the burden of sin. Let me get your life in order. Then we can worry about some blessings. God, God, blessings is nothing for him. We make a big deal, but it's nothing for him. He says your life being saved is what, that's what means everything to him. That's what means everything to him. You being saved. The blessings will roll after a while. But he's more interested in your life. You being in relationship with him. Oh, God, help me today. It makes so much sense. It makes so much sense, Chanel. We wonder why God don't bless us while we're going through. Just tell me how much sense does that make? If you can't be disciplined enough to live right for him, if he blesses you, you're going to take the money and run. If he blesses you, you're going to take the blessing and run. If he blesses you in the state that you're in, you're going to take it and book say, man, I'm blessed. Oh, you're doing walking around telling people, I'm blessed. But you and God don't have no relationship. It don't work that way. God's not trying to bless you when you don't have a relationship with him. No, what he's doing is reaching for you. What he's doing is trying to save you. He's not worried about no extra stuff. He's trying to reach you. Hmm. Help us, Jesus. For some of us, God has extended his covenant to us, but we refuse to agree to enter into his covenant and take on the responsibilities. So there's some of us that entered the covenant by agreeing to the terms. And there's, there's others that have not yet entered into covenant. We just hanging loose. But understand this, I'm here this morning to tell you, if you're here this morning and you've never entered into covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, he wants to go in covenant with you. He, 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 that offer is extended. He's saying, daughter, son, the offer is extended for you to enter into covenant with me. The offer is there because the offer of being in covenant with God has been extended to all the world. The offer... To be in covenant with God has been extended to all of us. Some have taken it in mutual agreement and have breached it and others have rejected it. I don't want that covenant, God. I'll keep on working my 1950. <laughs> that's, the, that's the covenant that means something to me, God. That's the covenant that pays my bills. You don't pay my bills, God. Mm-hmm. Then you get laid up, and then the unemployment people, just something wrong. They can't get your name in the system. Oh, don't get me started, man. Stuff just stopped going right, and you wondering how in the world I'm going to pay my bills. That's because you said God wasn't paying it. And he's trying to let you know, no, but I was giving you strength and health to be able to go to work and make, make a living. 
we always deal with the surface and God deals with the root. You want to look at just the, 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 the surface of things and God say, are you kidding me? Look at the real deal here. An emotional breach in a relationship occurs when one of, one of two things happen. When we feel someone else has measured, has not measured up to our expectation, that usually causes a breach in the relationship. When we feel that we have not lived up to someone else's expectation, that also causes a breach in our relationship. If we allow breaches to develop in our alliance with God, then we have nothing but a surface relationship with God. Help me, Holy Ghost. When we allow ourselves to create a breach, because let me just clear this up in case I haven't said this yet. Usually, we're the ones that breach the covenant, not God. God says, I'm God and I change not. So he can't change. So once he says, I'm in, I've entered into covenant with you, he can't change. So if there's a breach in that covenant, you breached it. Don't even look around for nobody else. You breached it. Nobody can't make you breach it. You breached it. So it's between you and God. So now you got to work it out with him, right? And so when, 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 when there's a breach in the, in, the, in the relationship, it's because of us. And if we don't fix it, here is what the word of God is trying to help us to understand. When we don't fix the breach, we go through all the motions like we got God in our life, but the emotions are not there. We can go through the motions like we're good with God, but the emotion is not there. Some people want to live for God with no emotion, and that ain't going to work. That's another reason why we don't live for God. I ain't trying to show my emotion. Oh, I guarantee you, you show your emotion some other kind of way. If you ain't showed it for God, that's okay, but you showed it somewhere. Something happened with your kids and you showed it. Something happened to your mom and you showed it. Something happened in your life and you showed it. But we show emotion one way or another. So stop saying, I don't want to show all no emotion. Having a relationship with somebody is emotional. If it ain't emotional, it ain't no relationship. It's it's some kind of arrangement. It ain't no relationship. You get a relationship with someone, it's going to be emotional. That's why some people don't want relationship. They're afraid to let their emotion get the best of them. Jesus said uh, when Lazarus died, he wept because Lazarus was his boy. If we're going to have relationships, it's got to be emotional. There's no relationship without emotion. That's some kind of arrangement. But God knows you show emotion someplace else, so show emotion with him. Help us, Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. So we go through the motions with no emotion. In case y'all missed this last week, I'm telling you, God gave me some revelations, and I'm just like, whoa, 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 what in the world's going on? Remember I told you last week, that praise must be an inward emotion that you express outwardly and verbally. Remember I said that? But I don't know if y'all missed the revelation God gave me. That when we praise God because it's emotion, God responds to us is also emotional. 
This is why anything can happen when you praise God. Because your emotion goes up and his emotion goes up. It's just two emotional people operating. But because he's just so sovereign, all-powerful, that stuff that he does, jail cells will open up. Blind eyes get open. Deaf ears get unlocked. Because he's so powerful, when you get emotional, he get emotional, and things just happen. That's what happened in praise. It's God getting emotional because you got emotional. Oh, that was powerful when he showed me that. Like, Lord, man, you are something else. So we know that relationships have to be emotional. And so we can't go through motions and say we have a relationship with God. Until we are emotionally connected with God, we're just going through Demotions, because there's been a breach in the covenant, and when there's a breach that does not get fixed, we go through the motion. Yes. It's okay that sometimes we go through the motion. But I pray that you will wake up at some point in time and cry out to God. Sometimes we get devastated. And now there's a breach, a disconnect with God, and we frustrated. And now we're doing what we know to do because we know deep down it's right. But we're just doing it going through the motion. There's no emotional connection. And it's okay because at some point somebody is praying. At some point, if, if, if the prayers of other people are being heard by God, somebody somewhere will be praying for you. And guess what? Sooner or later, you're going to say later for this. Oh, my sister, my brother. You know what that's called? That's called crying out to God. When you're just going through the motions and nothing is working, you're going to come to a place to either walk away or cry out to God and say, God, I want it to be how it used to be. I want to be emotional with you. I want to be connected with you uh, and you will cry out and here comes God uh, when you cry out to him uh, and he will come down uh, and he will move in your life uh, but if you just stay stuck on just going through the motions uh, and decide well God ain't doing nothing uh, I'm leaving uh, you put your life at risk to lose out eternally to lose out eternally yes we've read in the Bible so many times and they cried out to God a lot of times God leaves us where we are, not because he don't love us, because I already told you God loves you. But there's different ways of getting our attention. And some of the ways is God says, I'm going to let you wallow in your mess and see how long you stay there. Are you going to enjoy wallowing in that mess? Are you going to enjoy that, 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 that lifestyle of, of drudgery and sin? Are you going to enjoy that? Are you going to enjoy frustration? Are you going to enjoy that, that, that lifestyle that gets you nowhere but just gets you frustrated and gets you in a room? Are you going to enjoy that? Or are you going to cry out and say, God, deliver me? Repentance is a gift from God. And a lot of times we thought we repented, but we didn't repent. Ugh. Because repentance only come, Brother D, when you decide, I don't want to do this anymore. Repentance only come when you decide, God, if you will just get this 
out of my life and get this off of me. I promise you, God, I'm going forward. God, get this out of my heart. Get this out of my life. See, we don't pray like that most of, most of the time. We just say the things we need to say. It's, it's, it's going through the motion when God is saying, uh, I don't need you to go through the motion. Uh, I need you to be emotional. Uh, and so if you want true repentance, uh, you're going to have to get emotional and say, God, uh, this thing that's in me. Listen. Go to the prayer chart that I gave you all on the tabernacle of prayer. One of the things that it says on the tabernacle of prayer, when you get to repentance, uh, the brazen altar uh, inside the courtyard is where you repent of your sins. Uh, and I learned when you go to God and you repent, uh, you say, God, search my heart. Uh, you know the stuff that's in it that I don't even know. Uh, and I want you to go in the deep place. Uh, that thing that's in me that I did not identify, uh, but it's killing me, get it out. Uh, the darkness that's in my heart. That sometimes get the best of me, get it out. You say that and mean that. That's when God starts working. But oftentimes we're going through the motion. We're not getting in the emotional part of God. We're going through the motion. And all God said is, Son, I love you. Lord, I love you. But you don't mean what you're saying, you're just saying it. Right now, you're just frustrated because you're not getting your way. So you come to me and you just say, blah, blah, blah. Mm. So, so, so often we go to God, just blah, 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 blah. And he's such a gentle, loving God that he just don't say nothing. He lets you go blah, 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 because he know you're just talking. He wants you to get to a place where you realize all you was doing was blah, 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 blah. And so he leaves you right there. And you're getting frustrated, worrying about why God not doing this, why God not doing that. Remember, he cares more about your life, saving you, than he cares about your blessings. And all you want was blessings. Oh, boy. Preached about that before. You can have the blessings, but I want the inheritance. Sister Maddie, that's what God want to give you, an inheritance, to inherit eternal life. You can be blessed down here with temporal stuff. Life just go good because financially you're good and all that. That's okay. But guess what? That don't promise you eternal life. That don't promise you the inheritance. I want inheritance, not blessings. Help me, God. I'm trying to get through this lesson here. I'm trying to get through this lesson. All right. Hallelujah. Causes of breach. Sometimes a breach results from a lot of little failures, the little things that add up. When we allow a lot of shortcomings and failures to pile up, the moment finally arrives when we unconsciously judge ourselves, unworthy of God's love. The little things that be catching us and we don't realize it. We're not praying enough. And we say, well, God understands. I know I've been busy. You know, I need to pray. But God knows. That's a little thing that can become a big thing eventually. Then we, we, we tell a little lie here and there. Mm, I wasn't trying to hurt nobody. I'm just trying to uh, little lie here and there. That add up a little lie become a big lie. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Then we miss church frequently. Mm. I'm not here to tell people. That's one thing. I, I battle with this. I battle with this. I know we need to come to church as much as we need to come. But, man, I battle with telling you to come. I, I just, I, I, I don't know, man. I can't find myself telling me, you better come to church. I, I just, I don't have that in me. Because I realize I can't 
put you into heaven. I can't motivate you to live for God. I can only teach you the word of God and you have to make that determination what you're going to do. And so trying to tell you you need to go to church, you need to go to, that ain't helping nobody because even if you say, well, I, I'll just go, yeah, you're going through the motion. Remember, I said this is emotional. You can't just go through the motion. So I'm, I just, people need to come to church as much as they can. Why? The consistency of coming in the house of the Lord and hearing the word of God and being in the presence of God and being among clean spirited, right people that will help us get closer to God. That's what the church is here for. Also, we will get instruction on how to live a successful life outside of the walls of where we come to meet. But that must be up to you. I told him Friday night at Mercer County Correctional Center, I said, when I come and minister, I minister the word of God and the word of God come into your hearing. And then the spirit of God begin to minister to you. And you have to make the decision if you're going to let that word take root in your life, if you're going to let that word work in your life. And then you decide if you're going to obey it. I said, I can't save nobody. I can't preach good enough for nobody to be saved. Uh Uh-oh. No, I can't. All I need to do is preach the word of God. And God and you work on that salvation. Did you, You didn't know that? When the word is preached, then you and God must work on how that salvation thing is going to work. You decide if you're going to obey. You decide if you're going to do what the word of God says. But the preacher don't have nothing to do with it. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So those are one of, that's one of the reasons that causes breaches. Little thing adding up. We miss church frequently. Then we, here's a good one. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. We drift away from holiness lifestyle. I got about three. Let me say this again. There are people that says, Chanel, do you go to that holiness church? And I keep saying, tell me the church, that's not holy, because God ain't at that church. Because God says, be holy as I am holy. And it says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So God's church is a holy church. So when we talk about holiness, people get uncomfortable. Start twisting in your seat. Don't they start twisting. What is he going to do now? We need holiness, and holiness starts from within. So when you, when the Holy Ghost that is in you, you allow him that's in you to work in you, there's holiness that will come out of you. And you will, put, you will begin to put certain stipulations on your, oh, help me somebody. I, I, I never needed nobody to tell me how to look, how to dress, how to, nothing. Nobody had to tell me that. God that's in me began to do things. So guess what? Man, I'm 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 going. So guess what, Eric? I'll talk to you. So because God was in me working and telling me what to do, I just follow what he said. If I'm if God is in me and God is in you, isn't not the same God in you in me? Right? And so if that holy God that's in me is in you, he's gonna lead you to a holiness life. And he's going to lead me to a holiness life. 
he's probably going to take us in different areas and where he wants us to go. But at the end of the day, he wants us to be holy. And at the end of the day, how holiness work is, holiness is God established in. He is establishing different, what we like to call guardrails. He's establishing different, different things in your life. He raises up different standards in your life to protect you. Uh, uh, Y'all didn't think I was going to talk about holiness? We two years old, so I'm taking my time. (laughs) I'm transparent as can be. This church is two years old, so I'm taking my time with holiness. But don't you think for a second, Brother Wayne ain't standing on holiness because we will stand on holiness. I'm just giving everybody a chance to just work their way towards their relationship with God because holiness is a relationship thing. It's not a thing that you start looking different because everybody looks different. Forget that. I don't want you to look different because everybody looking different. I want you to look different because God is working in your life and say, honey, this is how you want. I want you to look. Honey, this is how I want you to behave. Let God do that. I'm not going to tell you to do that, but let God do that. And so it takes time to get there as God work in your heart and work you'll get there but just believe that we believe strongly because we know without holiness no man shall see the lord we know uh be holy because he is holy all right can i move on now i just felt y'all twisting the seat when i said holiness Mm. and so i had to i had to touch it just in case you wasn't sure where i stood you know where i stand I just I'm just trying to do the work of the Lord and I know God is loving and he's merciful and he's patient. That's what I'm trying to do. Let God work in your heart and work in your life. Amen, Brother Sam. I know you'll give me an amen because Brother Sam took his time and as God working, Brother Sam, Brother Sam took steps according to how God was doing in his life. And that's what I expect from everybody. I don't expect everybody to do the same things. I expect everybody to just take the step according to how God is directing you. We're not all going to look the same. Yes, amen. We're not all going to act the same. It's how the Spirit of God works in our lives. So take your time. Let God do it. Appreciate that. Here's the other thing. Here's how we also breach the covenant. A breach in our relationship with God can also be caused by our judgment. I'm close to finishing here because this is important. A breach in our relationship with God, a breach in that covenant can also be caused by our judgment of God. Hmm. For instance, life for most people has not worked out the way they planned. Somebody say amen. Because life don't always work out the way we planned. So we all can say amen to that. We have all been through disappointments, discouragements, setbacks, failures, and losses. We've all experienced that. So, but we didn't anticipate that. You know, I'm thinking about young children, five years old, four years old. They don't think about these things. They're not. Ex- they all. Oh, they know life is great, and life is going to be great. That's how we all thought. But in the interim, we've experienced some disappointments, some discouragements, some setbacks, some failures, and even losses. Some of us have experienced physical illness and handicaps. Still others have lost loved ones and have experienced almost unbearable griefs. That's some of us. That's life. Tough things do happen. We all have our share of physical, emotional, and relational problems. Yes. 
And even though our pain, suffering, anguish, and losses, we try to hang on to our belief in the goodness and faithfulness of God. So here is what happens to some of us. We judge God because all of these things start happening in our life. Don't tell a lie. We judge God. We might not say it always outwardly, but we're saying, how can God allow this to happen to me? How can God allow me to go through this? How can God allow it to be taken from me? And we get real judgmental about it, and it causes a breach in our relationship with God. But when life dishes out what we feel is unfair, we sometimes begin to wonder, where is God in all of this? Somebody ever wondered that? Where is God in all of this? You're right for wondering that. It's okay. It's not wrong. You're not sinning by saying, where's God in all of this? If he is sovereign over all and nothing happens without his knowledge and permission, why does he allow not only just clouds, but vicious storms and wrecks to take place in my life? Where are you, God? And all this stuff is happening in my life. This is not what I thought it would be. Most of us never openly admit to that we have ever been hurt or disappointed by the way God allowed some of the things to happen in our life. But if we, if, if our aching questions linger, a breach occurs in our relationship with God. Being quiet don't mean you don't have a problem. A lot of times we get quiet about things, brothers and sisters. It don't mean we don't have a problem. And from my experience, the quietness will cause you more damage and hurt than speaking up. Because quietness, you don't allow for any input. But speaking up, at least some input will come, whether good or bad, some input will come when you speak up. But when you stay quiet, you don't allow for any input to come, which means you're, you're, something's just eating away at your soul. Because all of these travesty, all of these things are happening, and you're wondering, why is God allowing this to happen? And you don't have an answer, and you're not talking to anybody. All you're doing is coming to your own conclusions of why things are happening, and it's eating away at you. And now you have a problem with God, which has caused a breach in your relationship, and you just go through the motions now. Ah. Yes. Help us, Holy Ghost. We don't get an answer. We get disappointed with God. We can even get angry for what he allow. Hmm. When we allow these things to happen in our life, where we start getting upset with God and judging God because he allow all these things to happen and we're not saying anything, our faith gets weakened. Our relationship with God is not as joyous or as meaningful as before when we let these things creep in that we figure God allowed it and he could have did something about it. We, we, we allow these, we, we, we make these things make us judge God and these things make us now get upset with God and now before we know it, we've got a breach. We're no longer joyous. Our, our faith is no longer strong. Very often we really pray. We just go through the motions when we pray. We don't pray real prayers of faith anymore. We just go through the motion because we kind of got an issue with God and we never brought it to God. 
We feel as if we are separated from God by a great gulf. We desperately need a restoration of our relationship with God. But is this possible after the breach has occurred? I told you about repairing the breach is what we're talking about today. And I've talked to you so much about so many different things. The bottom line is we've allowed a breach to take place in our relationship with God. And we go through the motion and act like no breach has taken place. We go through the motions and we don't say anything. We pray, we just say words. We can't feel the presence of God and we're wondering what's happening. Because there's a breach in our relationship with God. We've we, we, we placed a breach, a crack is now there. We, we have separated our, ourselves from that original agreement, that, that, that covenant that God made with us originally where he says, I will do, I will do, I will do if you will do. But part of it is you have to obey him and you have to believe him. And so because you didn't obey and you didn't believe, now you have put a breach in the covenant. And so now God is not doing what you thought he should. And now there is a standoff. Man, stand off between me and God. Woo! Who gonna win that one? Huh? You can't win a standoff with God. Can't win the standoff with God. All right. Let me run through some scriptures for you and show you in the book what has happened. Give me ten more minutes, and I promise you I'll get it done. Ten more minutes. All right. Numbers thirteen twenty-five. Look at what Numbers thirteen twenty-five about. This is the children of Israel making their way to the promised land. Remember, God promised them the promised land. Well, I didn't forget all about that, all that stuff we read earlier. It's still in here. So let's get it to it and let's get it done. Numbers 13 and 25, it says this. And they returned from searching out the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran and to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sendest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. So God told him to go to the land that he had promised. He said, It's yours. So here is something you need to learn about God. God told them it was their land and he's going to take them there. But there was obstacles in the way. There were people occupying the land. Even though God said there will be great fruits and, and there will be milk and honey. He says it's going to be a great land. That's going to be a great blessing to you. Guess what? It was still occupied. But God said it was theirs. So learn this about God. When he tells you something, it doesn't mean that it's going to be better roses. It don't mean that there's no, not going to be any, any obstacles. It don't mean just going to walk in and just get it done. God tells you something, just go by that. Don't worry about the obstacles. Come on, somebody. It's a big lesson to learn there. When God tells you something, take your eyes off the obstacles. Just go by what God told you. If God called you to, to do something great in the kingdom, don't you look at people and decide, well, maybe God didn't call me to do that. I went through that myself. When I knew God called me, I had to think, well, maybe he didn't call me. You know why? I took my eyes off of that. God called me. I took my eyes off of that. God had made me a promise. When God call you and make you a promise, don't worry about the obstacles because the obstacles will not stop the promises of God. 
I will save your children and all of them that are far off. I can care less what the obstacle is. I can care how, I don't care what my children act like. I don't care what they talk like. I don't care what they say about not coming to church. God promised me that they will be saved. And so I'm not looking at my children, how they're behaving. I'm not looking at their lifestyle. I'm going by what God promised me for my job is to believe God and obey God. I don't care how they're living. They can live all any way they want. I'm not looking at them. I'm looking at Jesus. He, he made the promise. I went into covenant with him, not with them. Hallelujah. Help me, Jesus. What verse am I in? And they told him instead, we came and the land where thou sendest us, and surely it was flowing with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people were strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And the, Am- the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell in the sea, and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it. Caleb, no, if God says it's yours, we're going to go get it. Can we get some Caleb's in the house? If God said it's mine, I'm going to get it, I'm going to possess it. Nobody's going to stop me from what God has already promised me. We need some Caleb's in the house. We're going to get it. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. You think God going to tell you to do something you can't do? You think God going to tell you to go do something that you can't do? You better think again. But the men that went up with them said, we be not able to go up against the people. God told them to go and possess the land. Caleb says, We are able and we will possess it. Then you had some other ones. We're not able. Now, who's right or wrong? God says you go get it and you're going to say we're not able. Now, who is right and who is wrong? And when we say, God, we can't do it. We go directly against God. We put a breach in the covenant. We rebel against God when God says, yes, you can. And you say, no, I can't. Are you all-powerful or is God all-powerful? Okay. And so he says here, he says here, 31, but the men that went up with him said, we're not able to go against the people for they are stronger than we. <laughs> oh, God, help us. This is, why I don't, that's, this is why I live for God crazily. Ain't nobody stronger than me. I'm living for God. I got the Holy Ghost in me. You're not stronger than the Holy Ghost. So I don't care how strong anybody is. The Holy Ghost that's in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Why am I going to worry about other people? I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how powerful you are. Greater is he. I'll give you some more of that. And they brought up. An evil report. That's what God called an evil report. When God tell you you can do something, he said, no, I can't, God. He said, that's an evil report of the land which they had searched out. The children of Israel saying the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw uh, in it are men of great stature. Yes, okay. What often happens when we breach the covenant The sinful and insane folly of our conduct are incredible. Our conduct allow us the smallest difficulty to stir up unbelief. 
When God tells you something, the little bit of challenge that you get, all of a sudden, now you're backing off. That's what they did. God told them, the land is yours. And as soon as they saw a couple giants, a couple minutes, well, maybe we can't. Help us, Holy Ghost. We can't do that. We got to not let those little things stir up unbelief. Uh, we can't let them stir up unbelief. Uh, because if God said we're able, somebody say, I'm able. Murmuring about the things of God can be the beginning of your downfall and the breaching of the covenant. Stop murmuring about what God has said. If he said it, it's a done deal. Don't you worry about it. Don't you murmur about it. You just need to know it. Listen to this. I'm quoting myself by the Holy Ghost. Murmuring about the things of God, weaking your belief in God and strengthen your belief in you. That's a quote from me. Yes, I'll say it again. Murmuring about the things of God, weaken your belief in God and strengthen your belief in you. I don't want no belief in me. I want belief in Jesus Christ. Uh, I believe in him. Uh, it's because of him. While I can do what I do, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Uh, and so I say I can do all things. It's through Christ. It's not through me. Yes. Numbers fourteen eleven. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? God is emotional. He said, all the miracles I'm doing, all that I've been doing, how long are they going to keep on talking about I'm not able? I'm not, I can't do it. I can't do it. God says, how are you going to tell me you can't do it when I've told you you can't do it? How long are you going to keep on living your life acting like you can't live for me? You can't obey my will. How long are you going to live that life of excuses? Numbers 14 and 13. This is where the preacher come in for you. So you make excuses, you make excuses, you make excuses, and God gets frustrated with you. And then the preacher says, and Moses said unto the Lord, then the Egyptians shall hear, because this is what God was frustrated. His emotion is running high. And he says, I'm just going to wipe them off. I'm done with them. I'm breaking the covenant. I don't care nothing because they don't listen. I've given them many chances. They don't listen. That's what God said. And then Moses said unto the Lord, then the Egyptians shall hear it. For thou brought us up the people in, in, in thy might among, uh, from among them. Verse 14, this is 14 and 14, and it says here, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land, for they have heard that the Lord art among his, this people, and the Lord aren't seen face to face, and that the cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by day in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if thou shalt kill, this is Moses negotiating, this is the pastor praying for you. Hopefully he a good pastor and he does do this. And now, if thou shalt kill all the people as one man, then the nations with an S which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able. Y'all missing all of it. God got frustrated. And say, stop saying you can't when I told you you can. And because you won't stop thinking that you can, I'm just going to wipe you off and just be done with you. 
But his servant Moses, the pastor, prayed and said, hold on here, Jesus. Don't do that to them because then people are going to say, what kind of God you are? You ain't able to lead your people out of bondage and slavery and keep them. You're just going to kill them off? When you know about God, when you have a relationship with God, you know how he works. And so you can go and talk with him. Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he swore unto them. Therefore, he had slain them in the wilderness. That's what people would say if God would kill them. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy. This is Moses praying, forgiving the iniquity and the transgressions, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children upon the third and fourth generation, 19, and pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of the people according unto greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even now, and the Lord says, I have pardoned according to thy word. You say you can't when God already said you can. But there's a man or there's a woman that's calling on the name of God and saying, Jesus, will you have mercy on them? We don't want people saying you brought them into the church and you couldn't keep them. So God, will you pardon them? Will you deliver them and save them?